0: on March 23rd and April 6th to discuss African history and independence since World War II. Dr. Anthony highlights post-World War II Africa, the early years of independence, pan-Africanism, and the challenges of development. Join us for this special two-part series on Africa Today, KPFA 94.1, Mondays, March 23rd and April 6th. Amandra And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy.
1: is jennifer stone with stone's throw today is march the 10th 2015 i got to laughing during the last show i hope you heard it <laughs> 2015 back in 1955 that's uh half a century no 60 years ago more than that I remember my history teacher, a very nice man, Dr. Wick, I think was his name, he used to tell us about the population explosion. Later it became uh, unfashionable, not fashionable to talk about it. Anyway, back there in the day, he explained the population explosion. <laughs> I, All I know is that in my lifetime... World population has tripled in Al Gore's book. he says that from the time he was born until the present world population had doubled uh, I think what is it? Are we at seven billion uh anyway uh i just I just like to wring my hands uh <laughs> i I remember thinking that uh if women had a free choice let's say in the next 24 hours say every woman on the planet <clears throat> was free to choose whether or not she would have procreate you whether or not she would have a uh, a child yes procreation i don't mean that they <laughs> that they should not have have a, a sex or affection i just mean that if All the women on the planet, you know, were free if there was no such thing as forced pregnancy. I think that by this time tomorrow, we would see a whole new world. Anyway, I I guess I'm starting to blather because, you know, it's International Women's Month. uh, (laughs) I... I guess I'm just weary of all this talk about the war on women. Now, the question is, who is making war? I don't mean just men. I mean one hell of a lot of women who don't seem to understand their own, what is it, their own problems? No, it isn't their problems. They, what is it? friend of mine used to say, sexism, she said, sexism goes so deep, it's hard to see. We think it's just reality. (laughs) I think uh, women seem surprised every time I tell them or whenever they learn of the malevolence, uh, even hatred that women experience. I remember, let's see, the other day I was reading the old Greek historian Herodotus, (laughs) and he describes in detail the practice of female genital mutilation. At its worst, that's castration for women. And uh, he, of course, was writing uh, centuries before uh, the arrival of... uh, Islam on the planet it's nothing to do with the religion it has to do with property women at some stage in our history became property you know just like the the cattle and the land and all that good stuff i think it's so curious so interesting that we still <laughs> we still put on this act uh speak of women and say oh you know how can this be happening uh most women are very protective of men in general not just the men they know uh they seem to feel that it's their duty to reassure the guys you know i if i make a mistake and say something that is called male bashing i'm sure to get lots of calls mostly from women <laughs> i i uh, uh I tell them that they they should try to keep their systemic perspective and they still just go on saying, well, you know, it's not like that in my family, you know, my mother, sister, daughter, whatever. uh, uh, They are free, they are liberated. Anyway, I think I grew up in a world, or at least with the women close to me, who said, well, this is just the way things are. You work around it, uh, you know, and keep your sense of humor. (laughs) I remember in the uh, early days of the first wave of, well, the the wave in 1970, uh, the first thing that... uh, men said was that feminists had no sense of humor. And, you know, that'll stop us in our tracks. Male approval is a sacrament for so many women, especially young women. They have such a stake in that kind of thing. They don't want to be unattractive. (laughs) Most of all, men, men... are concerned about being laughed at, one of Jane Austen's novels. (laughs) She describes her ideal man and how he's learning, you know, she's re-educating him, it's all very well, that's Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, but then she says, he has just this one problem, he has yet to learn to be laughed at. (laughs) I think... It's damn near impossible. Personally, I can't stand it. I feel just that way myself. People laugh at me. I'm totally humiliated. Uh, Women, yes, we're dismissed as a joke. At least our behavior is. We are not to be taken seriously. Man shall not learn of woman. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Infuriating stuff. I think when I was a young woman, it did come to me as a great shock you know, that we were not universally loved. Uh, hmm. I guess I just want to be in on the joke. Uh, I was one of those who was quick, quick to uh, criticize women and to notice that they were uh, complicitous, yes, in their oppression. Uh, I remember, well you know we tried we tried to be enlightened and at least charming you know we'd have an open meeting and group would gather and a woman would step up and demand her rights she wanted to do more than just make the coffee and the the group the gathering uh one of the men in the audience would shout who do you think you are do you want to be a man the woman would answer absolutely don't you now of course we know that the definition of a man is someone strong wise and competent yes the definition of someone who is uh just that uh okay in every way uh is uh, certainly certainly uh the definition of Intelligence and, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, masculinity, yes, as opposed to femininity, which is okay, so long as it means that the women are womanly, meaning that they wait and see what they're told to do and then they do it. Uh, back in the 70s, I devoured all the books. My favorite was a little book called Words and Women written by Casey and Swift. I think one of them is gone now. Uh, Casey and Swift, Words and Women. I think, uh, well, I think they understood. They they tried to be funny. They would talk about having meetings. Uh, there was a meeting in South Africa where uh, the uh, men had to come in the buff, you know, uh, at, in order to prove your... <laughs> Your eligibility, take your clothes off, right? Uh, Language, of course, is always where I start. I'm a recovering English teacher. I mean, the actual words, the feminine words are pejorative. Look it up, yes. Everything feminine is a put-down. The ideal person is a wasp, an American a white male, an Anglo-Saxon, a Protestant probably, yes. Uh, today we are still addicted to white male supremacy. Uh, I, I think uh, most people still know that God is an Englishman, unless you are one of those progressives who believes in being politically correct, yes, reconstructed uh, enlightened, in which case we believe that uh, white males, even dead white males, are the bad guys. (laughs) Now, I have known some very wise and wonderful white men, men of every color. I've known a few, well, seven. Uh, (laughs) I think yes i think i have to look in my uh, my own works to try to define some of these things uh i i want to dig through the history of women's oppression and try to get a decent perspective we do need history to teach us uh what can be done what must be done uh mainly of course we must have education for women, and they must be given free choice. Uh, uh, it's perfectly simple, yes. Economic empowerment, you know all those things. Uh. <laughs> I i do worry. I'm looking here at my notes and thinking, i got to be careful because I might be doing some male bashing, but uh, no, no. I have always simply written what men do. I will repeat that. Uh, We report, feminists report, what men do, their actions. Now, Andrea Dworkin did that long years ago. Her death or suicide, I don't seem to know which, ...convinced me that it is very dangerous to tell the truth. Uh, It may be that it will make you turn on yourself. Anyway, you remember Muriel Rokhazer saying... ...if one woman told the truth about her life... ...the world would split open. Now, in the 1980s, I, I began to change. I kept thinking... Uh, There must be a way to do this without being, uh, you know, a hatchet woman. Uh, I went out to Bolinas, that beatific hamlet out near Point Reyes, and I sat on the beaches out there. And I read Andrea Dworkin's little book called The New Woman's Broken Heart. After long days and nights and pondering and wondering... I began to believe that it is men males uh, human men who must stand up for women, become if you like feminists <laughs> yes, oh dear, I see I've written another wise crack yes women women uh Learn from the plants, and men learn from the animals, which is why uh, women sit down and men stand up. No more wisecracks. Uh, I think. Uh, I think we've done enough laughing. Uh, I think. Let's see. I will read to you a little introduction to a collection of essays that I wrote back in the eighties, trying to come to grips with this situation. Here it is. It's an introduction to a book called Stone's Throw. The late James Baldwin once said that if we really believed what we said we believed, we would not be doing what we are doing. Now, as I worked on this collection of essays, I shared them with a friend. I wanted him to read them, (laughs) Dangerous. He sighed and shook his head, and he asked me, well, why did I want to spit in the wind? Uh, you know, he said, you, you can't change things. You can only be uh loving and kind to the people in your own little circle, you know. He told me that humankind needs a political lie. It's no use to wave a feminist fist in the air, he said. When you do that, dear, uh, well, it just makes men stronger. It affirms their power and reinforces their prejudices. Yes, uh, that's it. Um, It's just a brick in the wall of patriarchy. I try to knock it out, and someone just picks it up and puts it right back in the wall. Uh, and I got to thinking that this guy might be right, so I changed the subject. Uh, he liked my essays on literature. He thought that was kind of kind of clever. Uh, he didn't, however, see the Brontes as feminists. It's true that Charlotte Bronte once wrote that it is better not to even think about some of these things. Uh, and that the uh, way to change them, well, she said it was up to the women themselves. Uh, I guess. I guess I tried to talk to my friend about James Baldwin, about the uh, the connection, what the analogy of people of color with women. Uh, Simone de Beauvoir always said that. Uh, there was an understanding or more communication that women understood what it was to be different or other uh, now James Baldwin says that his rage his rage uh, well, he said once caused him to smash up a bar right uh, uh i thought well that that's that 's the way i i 've broken things uh before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave, and my friend, <laughs> my friend laughed, and he said that uh, James Baldwin had often asked himself, What would happen when the day came? There was no white man, no white man to blame. What will happen to you, my dear, he asked, when there is no longer a male threat. Hmm. <laughs> well, we both sat in silence for a while. Then he laughed, hugged me, and said, "Well, maybe it was true, and maybe mine was the last revolution, as <laughs> as women are the were the first class, and still are." Uh, the, what is it, the liberation of women will mean the liberation of every human creature, yes. Uh, I think, what is it, I think I'm going to just skip into the meat, some of these essays, because it is International Women's Month, and I kind of feel like it. Here is something Adrian Rich wo- wrote back in... Uh, Back in the day, she wrote, If I am death to man, I have to know it. His mind is too simple. I cannot go on sharing his nightmares. My own are becoming clearer. They open into prehistory, which looks like a village lit with blood, where all the fathers are crying, my son is mine. Now, you see, therein lies the problem. Uh, Long ago, men wanted to be sure that the children uh, that were born were his own and You know, you can imagine how difficult it was. That's why women had to be property and be veiled and wrapped up in packages, you know. Uh, And, of course, many of them castrated. I believe it's something like a hundred million women. um, Their sexuality destroyed, all that kind of thing. Uh, I think what comes closest... To my feelings uh, is the essay in this collection, Stone's Throw, about the imperative of intimacy, about eros, you know, love, sex, whatever we call that. Uh, I was reading at that time uh, Alicia Suskin Ostreicher. I think she's still teaching at Rutgers, dear woman I met at the Berkeley Poets, cooperative. Uh, She wrote a book called Stealing the Language, The Emergence of Women's Poetry in America. (laughs) It's pretty complicated, isn't it, when you try to write in someone else's language. It comes out funny. Uh, Now, in male mythology, I think most mythology is male mythology, but anyway... Eros and Thanatos are both guys, men, you know. Love and death are both personified as males. Now, it's a problem. Uh, now, not going back to the goddess, which, of course, that went on for millennia, and uh, the, what is it, the patriarchal absolute uh, that popped up about, well, let, let's, say, let's say it's been heavy duty for 5,000 years. Uh, I still think that there is an underground, always has been. At least the women I grew up with thought so. Uh, anyway, today, more and more feminists are trying to get into the act for real. Uh, naturally, they insist that they are the ones on the side of the angels, that is, on the side of Eros the good guy, on the side of love as opposed to death, you know. Many folks seem to think that today we're living in a deaf culture on account of because (laughs) we spend the money on uh, more. Yes, uh, I used to say it's very simple, you know. It's the bombs or the babies. Which will it be? Of course. So many enlightened women have awakened to the Zen end of things, and and they are well aware that there is a flip side to everything. Uh, I guess I mean to say that you can't have one without the other. Uh, It is the Zen thing, Uh, the flip side. I think I am in favor of both love and death. Let's face it. Remember the goddess Kali? There are so many goddesses who who take care of that death thing. Uh, I think uh, there's no chance that either one is going to go away, love or death. Uh, The difficulty is, when I read books mostly written by men... uh, they seem to think that there is a connection, and I would agree. Uh, what I want to examine is the existence of women, uh, the lives of women. Now, do they have an influence on the culture at large? Can they make things a bit more loving and a lot less deadly? Is that their job uh I looked in my notes the other day, and I see that murder is eighty five percent of the murders one on one murders eighty five percent uh are male oriented yes they 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 kill they kill their brothers yes, fifteen percent of the murders well women do kill from time to time uh Feminists might argue that they kill uh, in, well, in self defense, but uh, they, they seem to believe they have a reason. I guess I buy that. Uh, now, I think that there's plenty of evidence that women want to get away from the death culture, from Thanatos. Uh, you know, you make big list here, and we know uh, that they really are on the side of the angels, and they do want to get back to Eros, and they are trying desperately to get a critical mass of males to come with them, go with them, yes. Uh, I guess I'm saying at least the poets want to, the prophets. Uh. Men, I think, seem split between their subversive longing for the feminine, that uncontrolled world in which mystery is the only reality, and then their need to please their fathers, the aspect of their fathers, which says men can control their world, can be God, in fact. Now, the wisest of the poets have always tried to convince us that the feminine can be fun, that Eros is eternal youth, that love in the open hand, as Edna St. Vincent Millay called it, love in the open hand can be had for the asking, if we're just willing to let go of ourselves. Yes, control freaks. Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm just coming to my favorite local poets here. I got there uh, on Sunday when I was being interviewed. I got all the way to my friend Alta at the Shameless Hussy Press. I'll have to save it again. I'll have to save that for next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Walk
0: in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. to the Oakland premiere of the critically acclaimed new film Tales of the Grim Sleeper by Nick Broomfield. This film highlights police neglect and the devaluation of the lives of black women and sex workers in South LA. Over 200 black women are missing and as many as 100 have been killed. The screening is a Women's History Month event on March 18th at 7 p.m. at the Omni Commons Ballroom, 4799 Shattuck Avenue in Oakland, The venue is wheelchair accessible and the event will be a benefit for the Black Coalition Fighting Black Serial Murder Victims Memorial Fund. For more information, call 415-626-4114 or go to www.uspros.net. Again, that number is 415-626-4114. And you're to KPFA and KPFB, also 88.1 KFC.